Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. The Eternal Lighthouse. It's the new book in stores right now, co-authored by Elizabeth W. Murphy and James D. Murphy V. Elizabeth and James are right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable to talk all about it. Elizabeth, James, thank you for being here with me tonight. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Corey. Appreciate it. Well, it's wonderful that you're both joining me here. Can you tell me all about The Eternal Lighthouse? The book is about someone that has dealt with early childhood trauma, losing a parent at a young age, being raised by a grandparent, and then how dealing with addiction can affect not only the person that's dealing with it, but how it affects everybody around them. It has heartbreak. And of course, it has a lot to deal with lighthouses and maritime living and that type of thing as well. But we really wanted to incorporate real life situations that happen to people and the addiction aspect of it and how that really can affect everybody in a family. Were those affected by addiction than the ones that you were reaching out to with this primarily? Not just that audience, but I definitely feel like if anybody has dealt with that or is currently dealing with that, I feel like that's something that they could really relate to and reading it. So how did the idea for this come about? When was that moment you said, oh, I got to sit down and write this book and get it published? Well, we decided we took a trip early in our relationship a long time ago when we were dating. Whitney started to uh, look into lighthouses and we like to travel. So, you know, Elizabeth and I are basically, we go everywhere we try to. And an idea was try this lighthouse out. So we went down to one and and fell in love with everything and the whole aspect of the maritime living and the way people are down there. Just out for recreation and vacation stuff, but all the people that do everything they can, even in the off seasons and stuff like that. And one of the main characters is on the island and everybody knows who he is. And he's the one that's basically raised our main character and, you know, shown him the way like everybody does that's born and raised and grows up on an island that has lighthouses. And we've just started going up and down the eastern seaboard, going from lighthouse to lighthouse, getting inspired by people, people that work in the lighthouses, how they started construction with them. And and it's just, it's kind of amazing how they're just what they've done for everything from vessels traveling in the night, people walking around, them just enjoying themselves. So it's just kind of things like that that inspired us. Hmm. Elizabeth James, you co-authored this book. So tell me a little bit about what that dynamic was like. Well, it was actually really enjoyable. That was something that we did for a long time. That would be like our evening routine. We'd sit down or sit on the porch and just sit and kind of collaborate, go over ideas. And she would write and I would sit there and listen to her ideas and we'd be like, oh, that's great. And then 
she would pound away for minutes on end and then stop and be like, well, does this sound good? And I'd be like, yeah, this is perfect. Or I'd be like, well, if you change it this way. And so I would write and then she would do the exact same thing. And we just have experience with writing mm. from college and over the years. And we just knew this was something that we were good at. So as we started, we just decided that working together was perfect. We just ran off each other's way we were writing. It was just something we did in the past time, and it was something enjoyable for us to do. Was this something that took a long time to do, or did this get through pretty quickly? It really took a long time. It took longer from uh, COVID and mm. the process of you know both finishing of us everything, working, working yeah, we both family. Were, yeah, it, it was something that we did a lot of times when we had some extra time. So it did take longer than maybe it would take most people. And then we had an illness in the family that kind of took over for six months and it was tough to write, but we fought through it and it took longer than we wanted to, but we got it done the way we wanted to and not rushed it. And I know a lot of people are going to be really encouraged and helped out by this book. The title is The Eternal Lighthouse. It's written by Elizabeth W. Murphy and James D. Murphy V, and it's published by Fulton Books. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, you can get this book everywhere. Elizabeth James, thank you again for joining me on the show. It was great talking with you and learning all about the Eternal Lighthouse. I hope we can do this again soon. Yes, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. This book aims to help add up all the parts to see the whole picture, which is God. It's titled, Let God Be True and Every Man a Liar. And the author, Lonel Stewart, is sitting down with me now to tell me all about it. Lonell, thank you for joining me here tonight. Well, thank you for having me. Can you tell me all about what readers can expect in Let God Be True and Every Man a Liar? Well, as mankind through science try to figure out this world himself and how it all came about, this book does not refute science, but demonstrates how the conclusions found from scientific studies reveal what God has already created. Those are the type of things that I talk about in this book. Lonell, what kinds of readers do you think would really be into this? First, my target readers are those who have a deeper desire to understand the correlation between how God can be the creator of the universe and the discoveries found in science about mankind and his world. Second, this book is a tool for the Bible student who seeks a better understanding of how God went about his creation. And third, this book is just good reading material for anyone who is interested in a different point of view from many of the discussions that has been presented before about God and his creation. Hmm. It sounds like this might have taken you a long time to do, considering all the research that might have gone into it, Lonell. How long did this take? Mainly in my spare time from beginning to completion was probably about four years. And have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book and being published? Well, I wrote my first book, and it's called To God Be the Glory, Not Evolution. And so from writing that book, you know, I felt like I, I needed to go ahead and give a little bit more discussion and more explanation about how God went about his creation and including mankind and, and his world. Mm. Lonell, whenever you put all that time and all that work into something like this, what's it like for you whenever you get the first copy in the mail, you get to hold that in your hands? You know, it's it's a good feeling. I feel like I had really accomplished something, but, you know, I was glad that I had something available 
that readers would be able to go out and read and at least think about God and think about their place in this world and in creation. Hmm. Lonel, can we expect to see more books from you then in the future? Well, I've started to gather some thoughts on my next book. I'm sure that I'll be writing some more books. Wonderful. So many people listening to us now, Lonel, are authors who are just starting out. So what words of advice would you have for them? I would say that they should study and learn how to write and to speak so that they'll be able to express themselves and materialize those ideas that they have inside. Because so often, many people have a lot of good things to share with the world, but they just don't know how to express it in a way that other people are able to receive it. Who do you have in your life, Flanell, who inspires you, motivates you, or encourages you? I look at my pastor. He has a very strong story of how God came in and saved him from drugs. And by attending church and, and listening to him preach the word of God just sort of inspires me and gives me confidence that there are others out there who have a real faith in God and are really trying to help change the world for the better. Hmm. Well, now I'm sure you know there's so much joy and satisfaction that comes along with writing, but sometimes it does get hard. What do you do when things like writer's block come about? How do you overcome the challenges? Well, usually what I do is, you know, this whole book is based on inspirations that I've gotten, that I feel like I've gotten from the Holy Spirit. Mm. So when the Holy Spirit will give me an inspiration, I'll, you know, jot it down in a notebook. And then after a period of time, I may come back and, you know, look at that and see how I can incorporate it into my writing. If I have a writer's block or something, I don't just sit there and try to think of something. You know, I just go on about my daily chores or whatever. And when the Holy Spirit inspires me with something or reveals a piece of knowledge to me, that's something that I try to write down and then try to incorporate it into my writings. Mm. I know a lot of my listeners are definitely going to want to check out this book. It's called Let God Be True and Every Man a Liar. It's written by Lonel Stewart, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, down the street at your local bookshop, they're all places where you can get this book. Lonel, thank you again for joining me. It was really great to have you here. Well, thank you. This book says it'll help you reconcile with God and recognize your value and reignite your dreams. It's called The Girl with the Low-Cut Dress, and the author, Gloria Restoy, is right here with me now to talk all about it. Gloria, thanks for being here with me tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Corey. It's my pleasure to be here. It's wonderful to have you here. Can you tell me all about The Girl with the Low-Cut Dress? Yes. This is a story of hope and of God's power as he leaves 99 sheep to rescue one that has been lost. Mm -hmm. This is my story. It's a Christian testimony of before Christ and after Christ and the power of redemption. It's a story of hope and love. It's basically about my parents. It starts out in Cuba in 1953, a few years before my parents met. My father was a politician. My mother was a young country girl. They met, they fell in love, and they had one child, a product of their union. That child is me. <laughs> and I write about the different struggles that they faced as they came into the United States and how they tried to acclimate 
They met certain people here that were not very good acquaintances. And as a result, they became drug dealers in the 1970s. And so the story unravels with my life living with them for a short period of time with my mother, because my father died when I was 10. Later, the things that I went through as I walked many dark paths of drug addiction, alcoholism. And it's basically a story where it's God being my benefactor through all the the life that I led as a person that had no identity and a person that believed in her heart that she was an orphan. And so by believing those things, by having self-disqualification, by having limiting thoughts, I basically experienced many things that I should have never really lived, but yet Mm. I made those decisions and I had to live with them, the decision of regret. And so by the grace of God, he enters my life and a victim became a victor. And I'm able, I lived through this life. I lived through the experiences to be able to tell a story. I'm of sound mind today. And I am able to fulfill that purpose and plan for which God called me. And I'm very happy because this is my life's work. Wow. What a story, Gloria. What inspired you to sit down and write your story for the world? Well, I lived this story as I could best describe it. I've given it blood, sweat, and tears. This is my memoir. And the inspiration was there in my spirit as I was collecting different notes throughout the years. And one day when I sat down and I was ready to write, I had the book saved in notes and notations that I had made throughout the years and I had been saving in a little special box. The inspiration is basically to bring hope and healing to the world, especially to young people today that have such an erroneous conception of God. I want to be able to give the world another view of God, a view that God is a father, that he is a good father, and that when we surrender and we seek him, he comes running to us and The revelation of the Father is what the world needs today. I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's called The Girl with the Low-Cut Dress. It's written by Gloria Restoy, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and down the street at your local bookstore. Gloria, thank you again for joining me here tonight and telling me all about your book, The Girl with the Low-Cut Dress. I had a really fun time talking. Likewise, Corey. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. There's been so much effort and sacrifice that have come before us so that we can enjoy the things that we have today in our lives. That's what author Dave Varnell is writing in his new book, The Realization of a Dream. It's out in stores right now. Dave's right here with me now to talk all about it. Dave, thank you for joining me. I appreciate the opportunity. It's great you have this book out in stores now. Can you tell me what readers can expect in The Realization of a Dream? Well, it's fiction, but it is historical fiction. It's historically correct, and it depicts the tremendous Herculean effort that 
the pioneers had to exhibit to achieve the goal that they were seeking. It also outlines the path in the Oregon Trail, as it were, from the Midwest to the Oregon Territory, Manifest Destiny. I know you've probably heard the old adage, there's no atheist in the foxholes. Mm. And these people were experiencing the same dynamic. Mm. They got to the point where it was too far to turn back and still a tremendous distance to their goal. And you find that they start relying on their faith, much as Abraham Lincoln did during the Civil War, when a man that had not been previously very spiritual or religious read his Bible constantly every day for guidance and reinforcement. Mm. And that's what these people did. Dave, what kinds of readers do you think would enjoy the realization of a dream the most? I think anyone with interest or even curiosity about how our forefathers settled and traveled west, the superhuman effort it took, the sacrifices that they made, and oftentimes the tragedies that befell them. Mm -hmm. How long did something like this take from the time you sat down and began writing it clear up until it was published? Well, I did just under two years of research. One of the things that fascinated me is that in all the cinema, the movies, TV shows, how the wagon trains are always attacked by Indians, and there are only two documented attacks by Indians on wagon trains. Wow. The real tragedy and effort was illness, Mm. exposure to the elements, accidents, That was what took more than a third, just under half of the pioneers' lives. Wow. So, Dave, what does your writing background look like? Have you ever written or been published before this? No, this is my first book. I've got some more in the works. I have one that's completed, but I'm still going back and tweaking it. And I've got some others that are in various stages. Hmm. Nothing like getting that first book out there, and surely nothing like seeing the finished product. What was that moment like for you, Dave, whenever you got to hold the first copy in your hands? I tell you, I, it was surreal. Mm. It was like, I really did this. And it was a feeling of accomplishment, of pride. Mm. I hope that everyone else can enjoy it. Dave, having your first book out there now, I'm sure you learned a lot along the way of writing and publishing it. So what words of wisdom could you give to the authors listening out there who are just starting out? Don't underestimate yourself. Don't sell yourself short. Mm -hmm. If you feel that you've got a good story, and if you think it's a good story, it's a good one. If you talk to people and they're interested in it, then go for it. I know my publisher especially was tremendously helpful. Mm. Little things that I had never thought about or known about, and they were real helpful in my development. The things that I learned from this one I'm applying to my future works. Years of work went into the realization of a dream, like you said, Dave, and a lot of people look at something like this, and project can be so daunting. So... For you, what's the most rewarding aspect of being a published author? Giving someone something that I hope that they will enjoy. A book that tells a story, and when you read it, you see pictures in your mind. I know a lot of my listeners are going to want to check this book out. It's called The Realization of a Dream, 
It's written by Dave Varnell, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and also down the street at your local bookshops. Well, Dave, thanks again for coming on the show and telling me all about the realization of a dream. It was really great talking with you. Thank you for having me. The title of the book I have here got me interested right away. I gotta know what this is all about. It's called The Girl Who Ate All the Rice in China. The author, Judy Heinemann, is right here to talk all about it. Judy, thanks for joining me here tonight. Well, thank you. I love the title of this book, like I said. So what's The Girl Who Ate All the Rice in China all about? All right. Well, this is the story of our daughter, Grace, that we adopted from China, and it's loosely based on her time in the orphanage in Chenzhou, Hunan. And Grace loves her food. And, you know, we've all heard the saying, you know, you need to eat all your food because there are starving children in China. Well, we always felt like Grace was the reason that the other children didn't have enough. So <laughs> that's how we came up with the title. Oh, wow. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book or being published? No, this is my first book to have published. Wow, that's fantastic. What sorts of readers do you think would really be interested in it? Well, my target reader would be children, let's say six and up. But my hope is that not only children will read my book, but also families could read it together. Hmm. So how long of a process was this for you from the time when you sat down and began writing this clear up until it hit store shelves? It took me maybe a day to write the hmm. story because I had a lot of notes from Grace's file that the adoption agency had sent me. And then I also had notes from our time in China when we were finalizing the adoption. I was able to talk with her caregivers and find out things about Grace while we were there. So after I had my rough draft going and sent the manuscript into my publisher, after that, it takes about 10 months. Mm. After all that time and all the work you put into it, what was it like the moment you got to hold the first copy in your hands? Oh, well, it's very rewarding mm. and I'm very grateful to the publisher who worked so diligently alongside of me during the entire process. Mm. And what are the chances we'll see more from you then in the future? Oh, well, I have another book that has already been published. Mm. It was actually my first book. It was called The Girl Who Wondered What's Out There. And that was loosely based on the story of our daughter, Alexis, and her time growing up in an orphanage in Changsha, China. Oh, wow. And then I have one more book because we have one more daughter from China. And mm. I'm hoping that that will be published by maybe October or November of probably next year. Wow. Judy, looking back over all of this, what's the most rewarding part for you of being a published author? Well, you know, it is great to have an actual book in your hand that has your name as the author. Mm. But more than that, I love seeing my daughter's reaction when they see the book and know that it's written about them. And then they have friends and teachers that have bought the book. Mm. That's always fun for them to say, this is my book. It's about me. <laughs> Writing and publishing a book can be such a daunting thing to take on. A lot of people have trouble getting started with it. And a lot of our listeners are in that spot right now. They're authors that want to write their first book and want to be published. Judy, you've been through this a couple times now. What, what is your best advice for them? My advice would be write what you are passionate about. Don't do it for money or adoration but do it because you have a story that you really want to share. Hmm. 
It's hard to go at this kind of thing alone, Judy. Are there people in your life who knew you were doing this and could be there to motivate you and encourage you and back you up? Oh, well, certainly. Of course, my husband, you know, he he supported me financially during the publishing process. And then, of course, friends that encouraged me to keep going, friends that were with us when we started our adoption journey with our three daughters. And then, of course, the publisher, you know, they're with you every step of the way and they work very diligently alongside of you during the process because they want to see you succeed just as much as you want to succeed. Hmm. Well, this is certainly a book a lot of people are going to be into. It's called The Girl Who Ate All the Rice in China. It's written by Judy Hyman and is published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can get this online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, and then down the street, too, at your local bookstores. Judy, thank you again for coming on the show here. I had a great time learning about the girl who ate all the rice in China. I really enjoyed our time together. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I think we all have times in our lives when we feel like we're not worthy of God's blessings. And author Amanda Roberts talks all about that in her new book, Who Are You, Woman at the Well? Amanda is sitting right here with me now to talk all about it. Amanda, thank you for joining me at the show tonight. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's really wonderful to have you here. Can you tell me all about Who Are You, Woman at the Well? Yes, that's actually my second children's Christian book. My first one is How Much Does God Love the Birds? The Woman at the Well has just been a scripture that was on my heart for so long. The first line in the book says, Who Are You, Woman at the Well? Even without a name, your story has been brought to fame. And it's like that line was just placed on my heart one day by the Lord, and I couldn't get it off, so I just wrote it down. I just went with it. And it is it's just about how unworthy we are, but how much worth He sees in us, despite you know what we do, and how much is he, he loves us unconditionally, no matter what we do. Amanda, what ages of children do you think would really enjoy this? I've had people buy my book for you know as young as newborn. They read it to them from birth to, you know, my daughter is seven years old and she still loves to read the book and and loves to hear the, you know, the true meaning behind the story. So I would say anywhere from birth to 10 or 12 years old, the older they get, the more they can comprehend about the true, a true message. Was this book something that was a long process to write and publish? It took me around eight or nine months for the whole process. I don't feel like it took me any time to write it, to be honest. Once I wrote it down and surrendered it to the Lord, it just rolled out. Hmm. But the process with the publishing company, that took a little bit of time. So it took me about nine months from start to finish to get it out into the public. And I know the illustrations were a big part of that. Was that a challenging part of the process for you? It was. So I'm not creative in the artistic way (laughs) at all. So I used an illustrator, but I tried to describe every page in detail what I envisioned for my book. And they hit it right on. They did awesome. Hmm. There's nothing like seeing your finished product after all that hard work. So what does it feel like when you get the first copy and you get to hold it and look at it for the first time? It's a little unreal. You're thinking, wow, I actually wrote a book. That's my name on there. (laughs) It's just a blessing to see what God can do through you. I mean, me by myself, I would have never been able to accomplish that. But with his help and his guidance, he made it all possible. A lot of people listening right now are thinking just that, you know, it's it's such a daunting thing to write a whole book and to publish it, such a big undertaking. So what advice would you have for those who are just starting out in this? I would just say surrender it all to the Lord, pray about what he wants you to write about, 
I'm an elementary teacher. I'm a certified librarian. So I love books. I always dreamt of writing a children's book. And whenever this thought was placed on my heart, I thought, you know, I could write any kind of children's book. But it was seemed that until I surrendered the content of my book to the Lord, that nothing flowed, nothing seemed to come out. I was able to produce nothing until it came to him. My advice would just be to follow him and obey him because he can make it all work. So looking back over everything, all of your writing and your publishing and all the people you're reaching, what's the most rewarding aspect for you of being a published author? Just that I know whenever my name is ever mentioned or if it's in public, if it ever is brought to fame, it's for glorifying the Lord. There may not be 10 people who read my book, but I want my witness to be for him. And that's the most rewarding thing to think that I can glorify his name in at least one person's life in this world. Hmm. Amanda, it sounds like writing is a really easy thing for you. Does it ever get tough? Do you ever get writer's block or anything like that? Oh, I did. I did multiple times, and I would just have to stop, close it all out, pray over it, just say, you know, Lord, just show me what you want me to write. And I would take a break and read a little bit more of the scripture, study about, you know, whatever of the content that I was writing between the two books. And it seemed like whenever I would take a break and pray and try to be patient with myself, it would help a lot. Hmm. It's not easy to take on something like this alone, Amanda. So did you have people in your life who knew you were doing this and they could be there to back you up, encourage you, motivate you? The only person who knew until my book actually came out was my husband. I had told him it had been in my heart and I typed it all up, typed up my rough draft and I just sent it to him in an email. And he was just so proud. He's always been very supportive. Um, I didn't tell anybody until I got the first copy in my hand and that's when I would mail it out to my family and I took it over to my family's house and they were so surprised and my whole community, my church, my family, they've been very supportive ever since. I know a lot of children, a lot of families are going to get a lot from this book. It's titled, Who Are You, Woman at the Well? It's written by Amanda Roberts, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores, these are all places that you'll be able to find this book. Amanda, thank you again for joining me here on the show tonight. I had a great time chatting with you. Well, I greatly appreciate it. I had a wonderful time as well. Joining me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable are brother co-authors of the new book, We're Not Soldiers. Robert Nelson and Ronald Nelson, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for thank having you. us. Yeah, thank you for having us. Well, it's great having you here. Uh, can you tell me all about the book? What can readers expect in We're Not Soldiers? It really is kind of an action-adventure book. Mm. It's set in a little town called Jervis in Oregon, and it centers around a family, the family of John Fide, they find themselves in the midst of a terrible virus that affects the world, a plague, and it's probably 95% of the population die. And it has to do with what they need to do to survive. Inexplicably, they're immune to the virus. Hmm. And so they have to basically start over without power, electricity, and the whole infrastructure of everything falls apart. And that's kind of how the book starts with this virus that hits and them, them trying to start over. And then, of course, you can't have a good book without some bad guys. Mm. So there's, there's some bad guys that pop up who want to take what they have. And basically, they get in a battle to survive not only the coronavirus. We adapted it, um, what we were writing in light of the current times. So he has to fight to survive the virus. And then, of course, there's these bad guys that they have to try to fight to survive there. And that's where the book goes. And it's quite a wonderful adventure from there. Mm -hmm. Where did the idea for this story come from? 
That's a good question. <laughs> so I enjoy a lot of the books and movies that have to do with the same type of scenarios. And in all honesty, how it came up is it's the draw of the book. And it's the draw of any other movies that you watch that are like that. Mm. Because it makes you think, what would I do? Mm. I wrote it in first person. And I wrote it of through the eyes of the main character. You know, what would I do? And then what would people around me do? And so I utilized people around me in the book and using their strengths and what I thought that they would do in any given situation, whether it's right or wrong. I, you know, I hope to never find that out, but it made for an entertaining book. With that, I think the neat thing about the book, too, is it shows perseverance mm. and it shows love, shows respect, shows faith and has heartaches, has successes. And it kind of has it all. Honestly, it was a lot of fun to write. Sounds like a great story. Robert, Ronald, your co-authors here. So tell me about what that dynamic was like. Well, I initially wrote the book, I think, 10 or 11 years ago. Then at some point, I was telling my brother about it, and he liked the idea, and he ran with it. In all honesty, he made it good. He rewrote it probably three or four times, mm. came up with a timeline, changed everybody's names, and he just did all that detail work that made it really well. It made it really, really good and really readable. One thing I am proud of with this book is I don't like slow books. I usually give books about 50 pages to 100 pages, depending on the book. The way I intentionally wrote this book is for it to suck you in from the beginning to the end. Mm. And so it will be a quick read if you enjoy that type of book. When it came to all that rewriting, was that something that took a long time then? It did. My brother has a way of writing. He writes with action. And then I kind of came in behind and really get into the mind of the characters and really emphasize some of the faith aspects in there. Because I think there's a real nice interplay where it asks some important questions like, what does true society look like? What is good society versus sort of this bad society? You see sort of a contrast there. You see questions like, you know, when is it appropriate to use violence kind of as a tool? Yeah, it just gets into the mind of the characters. And so it, I would say probably within the first couple of years of writing, Bob had had most of it there, but we both have busy lives. Mm. And so it's <laughs> been a process over like 10 or 11 years to get it finished. And when the, when the coronavirus appeared, we thought, well, you got to finish this. we got to mm. get this done because this is the time. Um, I won't go so far as to say that Bob was prophetic in that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it definitely was very apt. And so we were able to, uh, wanted to get it done and get it, get it out there because I think it is a really good story. Mm. Well, I encourage my listeners to check out this book. It's called We're Not Soldiers. It's written by Robert Nelson and Ronald Nelson, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Jump online and get this at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, or walk down the street and get it at your local bookshop as well. Well, Bob, Ron, thank you so much for joining me here tonight and telling me all about We're Not Soldiers and telling me all about the writing process. I had a great time chatting. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Good talking with you. Thanks, Corey. Sitting down with me now, right here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, is author Nona Austin-Roberts. Nona, thank you for being here tonight with me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Well, it's great to have you here. You have a new book in stores right now. It's called The White Bridge, so can you tell me all about it? Yes, this harks back to the Jim Crow era in the South, and it is about a young black boy who was accused of murdering a young white girl. And it is now 14 years past that time, and an attorney comes to the South 
to the library, which is run by, headed by Rachel McAllister. He comes to find out, to tell them that he does not believe Olin Chilton is guilty and that he did not commit any murder. And he is going to be there until he proves it otherwise. It opens a can of worms, is what it does. <laughs> wow, sure sounds like it. No, no, where did the idea for this story come from? I started writing this story and four others I wrote actually in the early 90s. Hmm. But at that time, shortly after that, I had a lot of family issues that would take way too long to go into all of them where I started taking care of family members. And I didn't get back to the rewriting until on the first one, which is already out there called Sarah Madigan's Diary in 2017. This one was completed in 2019, the rewriting of it. But the idea came from, I think, I can't pinpoint it exactly, but when I was 15 years old, I have to tell you, my age is 82. In 1955, when this, about the time the book takes place, my sister was living in North Carolina on a tobacco farm with her first husband. And I, I went there to visit her. I was 15. And we went to the local town, which I shall not name. And she and I were walking down the street. There were no other people there. Oh, I must say, I grew up in San Francisco. Hmm. So I did not grow up in the South. And so we were walking down the street, the two of us, I was 15, she was 17, and a man was coming toward us, a black man. And when he saw us, he went out into the street and he stayed in the street until he walked past us. And she and I looked at each other, both of us, tears in our eyes and didn't ever mention it again. But mm. that stuck with me so much that I just felt like, wow, he was afraid of even coming near us because we were two white girls. And so that stuck in my head. And I think somehow this book comes out of the feelings that I had back then. And, and my parents were wonderful parents. We knew about Jim Crow, but we didn't really know until she lived in that part of the country. And we used to go back to visit relatives. So it became a really important memory for me. And I think that maybe had something to do with it. I don't think I consciously thought of that when I started writing this story, but I think it basically had something to do with it. It was so astonishing to me. Mm. No, no. Was this a book that took you a long time to write? I wrote my five books actually very quickly. But the rewriting, yes, mm. it took much longer because I had to wait. I just literally was taking care of family members, husband, mother, daughter, mm. et cetera. And so it took a long time for me to actually get back to it. That's why it took so long. But I think it worked out that this book has come out really at the right time. Absolutely. And what's it like when you finally get the first copy in after all those years of hard work and you get it in, you get to hold it in your hands for the first time, look at it. What's going through your mind? It's unbelievable, especially this one, because I have to tell you, I'm, you know about Christian faith publishing. Mm -hmm. My first book, I designed a cover. This one, I thought, no, I'm going to let them do it. I saw this book and I'm still, if you've seen the cover of it, I'm still impressed by the beauty of it and mm -hmm. how endearing it is. And the minute I saw it and held it in my hand, yeah, it was like unbelievable. It's an unbelievable feeling, as great as anybody who's ever built anything or took a lot of work and they finally get finished with it and they think, gosh, look at that. It is never about money. In fact, I tell people, if you're going to write or paint pictures as an artist, if you do it for money, just give up right now. It's not going to give you any satisfaction at all. It's the idea of the accomplished work where you look at it, you read it. I've read it since then more than once, and I am happy with the work and I am pleased to feel good about it. So that's the most important thing. The book is titled The White Bridge. It's written by Nona Austin Roberts, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. 
You can jump online and find this at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and iTunes, or you can go down the street to your local brick-and-mortar store and pick it up as well. Nona, thanks again for joining me tonight and telling me all about the White Bridge and about how you write. I had a really nice time chatting. Thank you. I did, too. I'm still, I appreciate it. There's an exciting new novel out in stores right now. It's called No Favorite Child, and the author, Jack Hartman, is right here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable to talk all about it. Jack, thanks for being here tonight. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. No Favorite Child, can you tell me all about the story that unravels here? Sure. It's the story of a medical malpractice defense attorney by the name of Matt Morgan, who takes a case involving the death of a woman from eclampsia, high blood pressure during pregnancy. During his defense of the hospital and the doctors, he comes to believe that the woman's husband may have been involved in her death. So he pursues down that path. And for a medical defense issue, he contacts his high school friend, John, who is an obstetrician for an expert. And the complicator is that Matt has history with John's wife, Lindsay, and has been obsessed with her since they were all in high school together. So along the way, Matt comes in contact with another woman who it turns out may have some information and contacts that would help him get ultimate justice against the husband. And it all leads to a trial in which all the subplots and plots collide. And you wonder whether Matt can win the case and, and not lose himself. Wow, sounds fantastic. Jack, how'd you get the idea for this story? Well, I lived that life. I uh, was a medical malpractice defense attorney for over 20 years. I uh, had a lot of cases like the ones that were in here and had a lot of relationships with plaintiff's counsel and insurers and defense counsel and courts like the ones that are in here. And I had a story to tell. Eclampsia is a particularly exciting subject matter to address because it has all kinds of ethical and moral, legal, and, and of course, medical issues. Mm. And I thought if I benched that up against an attorney who was willing to push the limits on those things, I could weave a pretty interesting tale. Oh. So how long did this take you from beginning to end, uh, from when you first started writing it out until it hit stores? Well, that's a, a long process. I first wrote it in 2006. It took me only about six months to write it, but then it had a long shelf life for all kinds of reasons. During the COVID time frame, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to publish it, finish it, and be able to hand it to friends and colleagues and hopefully get some people to read it. But the process originally was about a six-month creative process. Is this your first venture into the whole arena of publishing and writing and things? It is. It's my first novel. I've written plays, mostly one-act plays along the way, mm. and short stories and poems. But this is my first effort to publish something. Wow. Then after pretty much the decades that went into this, how was it that <laughs> first time you got to hold the first copy in your hands? What was that like? Well, it was pretty exciting. It was fulfilling. One of the reasons I made the commitment to finish it is I had written it when I was retired the first time as an attorney. One of the reasons that kept me from finishing it was I went back to work in the middle and didn't have the time. So once I realized that I could do this and get it to that point, it was pretty exciting to be able to say to all the people that knew I had written it for all those years, yes, you want to read it? Here it is. Mm -hmm. And how about a sequel? Have you thought about that? Well, one of the other things that happened during all that time was I wrote a sequel and hmm. actually had the two books put together in my head for a while as well. And that was one of the other processes that I had to go through was to separate them back out, edit them, and create this one back to the original version. So there's a second one out there, and we'll see how this one is received. And you can always put a sequel together. And, and I've lived enough of this life to be able to put a prequel out there, too. Fantastic. <laughs> 
So what advice would you have now? You know, a lot of our listeners are aspiring authors. They want to get their first book out, too. What's your best advice for them? Well, in my case, I believed in this story. It was a story I wanted to tell. It's an authentic story. It's a real story. It's not, not a biographical novel by any stretch of the imagination, but it tells a real-life story about the kind of life that a medical malpractice attorney lives and I stuck to that and I took a lot of advice, but I left it at wanting to commit myself to the story I wanted to tell. And that's what you should do. Hmm. So what kinds of readers do you think would really be into No Favorite Child? Well, it's a medical legal thriller by definition. So there's a little bit of law and medicine in it. And I, what I found from the readers so far is those with that background find it particularly fascinating. Hmm. But I think anybody who reads a Grisham novel or that kind of a novel where there's a interesting and intriguing plot twist and, and storyline will hopefully find this a good journey. I've got, I've got a lot of positive reviews so far. I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's called No Favorite Child. It's written by Jack Hartman, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can pick this one up anywhere, like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, anywhere you shop for books. Jack, thanks again for joining me here tonight. I had a really nice time talking with you. So did I. I appreciate your interest and uh, hope everybody has a good read. Sitting down with me here right now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Amy Wilkerson. Amy, thank you for joining me here tonight. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It's really exciting. You have a new book out now. It's called Being Adopted. So could you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, so it is a children's book written for younger adoptees. I didn't feel like there were any a ton of books out there that were really representative of the adoptee experience through the lens of an actual adoptee. And so I wanted to give voice to that population and support to younger adoptees. Hmm. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book or being published? No, this is my first time. Oh, congratulations. How long did this take you? The whole project took roughly a year from the time I had put everything down on paper to working with my illustrators to getting everything published. Amy, was there anything in particular, maybe an idea that came to you, something that happened in your life that sparked you to say, hey, I got to sit down and write this and tell the world about it? Yeah, so I'm actually an adult transracial and international adoptee. I was born in Santiago, Chile, and I was raised in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Mm. And I'm a clinical therapist and I work, I'm in private practice. And my entire career has been working within the foster care and adoption world within child welfare, working with families. And now that I'm in private practice, I still work with the same population. I would say about 95 to 98% of my clients are adoptees or adoptive parents. Mm. And I just really wanted a tool that they could use where the kids felt represented and where parents had a guide to kind of how to have some of those tougher conversations. There's a parent guide in the back. So I wanted it to be not just a story, but a tool that families could use. Amy, the cover of this book is so charming. It's so adorable. And it says pictures by Aaron Kim and Caleb Yee. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so I really wanted my whole project to be done by adoptees. And so I knew Caleb from a long, from many years ago, we traveled to Korea together on a homeland tour. I was a social worker working with a bunch of families who were traveling to Korea. So I, I just stayed in touch with him for many, many, many years. And he does amazing artwork. And he introduced me to Aaron. And the three of us collaborated and they really brought my vision to life and all the illustrations. I just really wanted everything on this project to be touched by adoptees, to show little adoptees that our community can be so strong and tight knit and that we're better together. Wow. 
Well, Amy, then when that day came and you finally got the first copy, you got to open up that box, pull it out, and hold it in your hands and look at it for the first time. What was that moment like for you? It was really surreal. My husband got home before me and I made him promise not to open the box. (laughs) And then, yeah, I just, it was so surreal to see everything in print. And I was just so excited. I think I went the next day and mailed all the copies out to people who I wanted to share it with. What are the chances you'll be doing more writing and publishing down the road? Yeah, so I'm actually working on a series for little adoptees. I really want them to have more representation in literature and help families have more resources and tools to have those big, tough conversations with them. I don't think our adoption narrative does a really accurate job of portraying all the complexities that come along with adoption. And so I really want to give families a tool and children a chance to be seen and affirmed in their experiences. Mm. Now, Amy, being the first time through the publishing process, I'm sure you learned an awful lot. What advice could you give now to people who are just about to do that same thing? I think follow your gut. And honestly, have fun, you know, let your vision come to life because nobody can see your ideas better than you can. Mm. So just stay true to whatever your project is speaking to you. And I think it'll turn out great. Oh, Amy, is writing something that comes easy to you? You know, a lot of times we sit down and sometimes the words aren't flowing out and you get writer's block. Is it easy or do you get challenges sometimes? I think writing has always just been very therapeutic to me. Mm. I remember as a little girl in elementary school, our school would break every day for a half hour to read. And every single day I would ask my teacher, can I write instead of read? Because I just wanted to put my ideas on paper. Mm. And I've always been writing. So I think that it's just something that I use as a therapeutic tool and just something that helps me process whatever it is that I'm going through in my life. Mm. Well, this book certainly is going to help and inspire an awful lot of people. It's titled Being Adopted. It's written by Amy Wilkerson and is published by Fulton Books. You can find this everywhere like Amazon and Barnes and Noble at iTunes and a Google Play, traditional brick and mortar stores everywhere. Amy, thank you again for coming by the show. I had such a nice time chatting with you tonight. Yeah, thank you so much. It was really great. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 